song from like the 1980s. All right, so today we're going to talk about President Trump's executive orders. Um, He announced some new ones. There appears to be quite a bit of confusion as to what exactly they mean. Um, So we're going to dive into that right off the bat here. We also have President Trump had a verbal altercation with a billionaire donor. That's one of my favorite stories of the day. Um, Tucker creamed himself on air over... Kanye West. Tucker Carlson and Kanye West. You want to talk about an interesting little <laughs> an interesting group. They make a they make a cute couple, don't they? Um oh, there was another thing. I forgot to prep this for the show, but I'm gonna type it in right now as I talk to you. Uh Trump did a, a different executive order on pre existing conditions. Um and it's kinda hilarious because his administration is suing <laughs> his administration is suing to get rid of the protections from pre-existing conditions. And then he signs an executive order saying, I'm totally for protecting pre-existing conditions. Um, anyway, so maybe I'll throw that in at the end or something. Yeah, maybe I'll throw that in, that in at the end or here. I'll just click the CNBC article. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll even throw it in amidst the, the conversation about executive orders that we're going to do right off the bat here. Um, anyway, so later on in the show, yes, we have more of Joe Biden shoving his foot in his mouth. Um, is it impacting the race? That's a separate question, but he's certainly doing it. Then we have uh, Bernie Sanders proposes a new tax on billionaires and people on the right who are prominent media figures just can't help themselves but to make, a, make fools of themselves. And Ben Shapiro 
proves he knows absolutely nothing about democratic politics. So anyway, without further ado, let's get started. And uh, I'm going to talk to you guys about the executive orders. So President Trump announced some new executive orders. This is a few days ago now. And um, there appears to be some misreporting about what it all means in the media. So they're basically just being a, a stenographer and they're doing his propaganda for him and portraying the executive orders in the best possible light for him. Now, some people have pointed out this is basically like a Hail Mary for um, the election. He thinks that if he takes some of these steps that it's going to help him in the election, so that's why he's doing it. But again, the devil is in the details, so we're going to go to our buddy Jeff Stein from Washington Post. He does a wonderful job, one of the best reporters out there. He says the following, the first executive order on evictions. No eviction moratorium or new rental money asks HUD, Housing and Urban Development, to consider if evictions should stop. Now, on this one, the media is just saying that, oh, Trump is uh, you know, doing a moratorium on eviction. That's not true. The devil is in the details, and the details say pretty clearly that it's not an eviction moratorium, and he's recommending that the government consider if eviction should stop. It's weasel words throughout the whole thing. The second thing is unemployment. He's using $44 billion from FEMA to cover $300 a week in a benefit for five more weeks. So the $600 unemployment benefit ran out, Trump is stepping in and saying, I'm going to use FEMA money to pay people $300 a week. Now, the media is reporting this as, I believe, like $400 a week. Um, it's not $400 because the other $100 is supposed to come from the states, and the states basically don't have the money. I'm sure it's a, it's a different scenario when you go state by state, and maybe you know, the reality changes a little bit depending on which state you look at, but it's, it's FEMA money, $300 a week, um, to extend the unemployment benefit. Now, this is good, but it ain't nearly enough. And it's effectively a cut. And this is not going to be able to keep people in their houses. And this is not going to be able to, you know, this isn't enough for people to pay the bills that they owe. The third thing is taxes. There's an option to defer payroll tax payment, but without new law, they'll still be due. So this is the big thing that Trump's Wall Street goons in his administration are, are pushing for. They want to basically, you know, eliminate the payroll tax, which is really an attempt to destroy Social Security. So, I mean, it's quite a thing if you think about it. Let's, um, let's try to destroy Social Security in the middle of a pandemic and a depression, when really the conversation that we should be having is Social Security for all, also known as UBI. Um, but this is Trump listening to his Wall Street insiders who say, oh, this is a good thing and people will love this. No, they won't. This is something for the business owners. This is something for the wealthy. And so this is presented as like, you know, Trump eliminating the payroll tax. But no, again, the specifics are there's an option to defer payroll tax payment, but without a new law, they will still be due. So those are the executive orders now. There's one thing he did which I think is definitely good. He extended the deferred student loan payments. So, you know, ideally, you'd wipe them out. I mean, we really should do a debt jubilee, especially when it comes to 
um, student loan debt because that's a, a very unique kind of debt where you're not allowed to file for bankruptcy. So what Trump stepped in and said, you already um, have deferred payments for your student loans, but he stepped in and said, I get it, you know, the economy is, well, he didn't say this part because he pretends the economy is great, but he stepped in and said, like, I get it, I'm going to continue to defer the student loan payments. So that's a positive thing. Um, I, I mean, I wish, I, again, I wish everything, they'd just go further, but he's not going to do that. And also there are legal questions as to how far he can go on his own through executive orders. I think there's honestly an open legal question as to whether or not he can even do um, this FEMA move. I actually like the idea, in theory, of like take FEMA money and just give it to people. Um, it, he's doing it as an unemployment benefit. I would love it as, you know, go, again, go further, as a stimulus payment, as universal-based income. I like the idea, but remember, guys, Congress has what's called the power of the purse. And so technically, anything that involves spending money has to go through Congress. So if there is indeed a lawsuit over this, uh, it is possible that Trump gets, you know, this gets slapped down. Now, you know, if I was the Democrats, would I sue Trump over this? Of course not. Absolutely not. Because then you set up a situation where you're arguing for less money for people and a Republican president is arguing for more money for people. So, you know, I wouldn't exhaust that option, but I'm sure somebody's going to sue over this, even if it's like a, you know, like a libertarian think tank or something, Cato Institute, whatever, these are people who believe in small government as a matter of principle. And so they'd probably be like, no, you're not allowed to do that. That's unconstitutional. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what Rand Paul has said on this, but if, I'm sure if he hasn't, he will at some point say this is unconstitutional. The president can't just, you know, spend money like this. He's not, he's not a unitary executive. He's not the dictator. He can't override Congress and, and the power of the purse. So, um, but I, I think probably the most important point here is this is a Hail Mary pass for his election prospects. And also, there's no new stimulus checks. Now, again, maybe he's like, I don't have the authority to do it, so he didn't do it. Um, but, I mean, I think it's still the same legal limbo as using the FEMA money for extending unemployment for five more weeks, even at that lower amount of $300 a week. Um, if you're going to do that, then why not actually go further and do stimulus checks for everybody through executive orders and then make everybody else make your political opponents try to stop you. Because then again, you come out as, I'm the guy who's fighting for you to get more money, and they don't want you to get more money. So really, the best way to describe this, guys, these are half measures on top of half measures, and it's not nearly enough. Uh, there are a handful of good ones, but a lot of this is more window dressing to try to make it look like he's doing more than he is, and he's helping more than he is. Um, but again, the saddest thing is that the media the media really just kind of went along and were unwitting agents of Trump's propaganda because the way he framed it is the way that most outlets reported it. And the way he framed it was not true if you actually read the specifics of his own executive orders. So this is kind of like a classic Washington move here of like, at face value, it, it might appear better than it actually is. So, you know, th those are his new executive orders. Again, I like the one of uh, deferring student loan, pay loan payments. I think that's a good thing. Um, payroll tax one is terrible. The unemployment one is okay, but questionable, legally speaking, uh, and it should be more if you're going to do it. And then they're just, everybody's just wrong about the eviction one.
there is no eviction moratorium and there is no new rental money. He's just asking the government to check if it, to consider if eviction should stop. So um, it's a desperate effort. Who knows what kind of an effect it'll have. I do think that there is an argument that Biden could have peaked too early because he really had such a crushing lead for so long. And now you're starting to see some polls slightly nudge in Trump's direction. Now, don't get it twisted. Biden's up like nine or ten points. And, you know, the recent round of polls in the average, maybe Biden's up seven points. Right. So it's still he's still got a pretty big lead. But, yes, you are starting to see some polls kind of shift in Trump's direction. Maybe he's getting a a better sense of the strategies that might work, because what he's done to this point, it's just been absolutely abysmal with, you know, Biden is an Antifa Marxist puppet. That's his his main line of argument, which is just comical and is not landing. Um, But, you know, if if Trump wakes up and realizes, like, oh, what if I just give everybody a universal basic income check? Then we might have a race on our hands, because really the material well-being of the American people is going to override everything. Uh, you know, the strategy becomes irrelevant if you have somebody stepping up saying, I'm going to materially help you, because that is good strategy. It's good politics, and it's good policy. So if he just wakes up and realizes, like, oh, I'll just give everybody 2000 bucks a month for the remainder of the crisis. However, you know, even if he does it in a way that's unconstitutional and they have to sue him to stop it, however he does it, if he puts himself on the side of, like, yeah, I'm the guy that's fighting for you and these guys want to stop it, then we really have a race on our hands. Now, I don't, I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's, he's got it yet. But these executive orders are a little bit of a Hail Mary, and he's inching closer to something that makes sense. So we still have a race on our hands, even though, Trump, uh, even though Biden's been having crushing leads. We still have a race on our hands, and the situation is very volatile. And if Trump decides randomly to do a UBI and he crushes Biden in the debates, buckle up, it can get weird. All right, next, baby. Let's go. Now, we're, now I'm going to show you the other side of Donald. President Trump had a verbal altercation with a billionaire donor. <laughs> this story is absolutely amazing. It's too perfect. Now, before I continue, allow me to say, Sheldon Adelson literally looks dead. He looks like a corpse. He looks like he died around 2004. And they've been putting, like, blush on his cheeks and dyeing his hair and propping him up like Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) I would not be surprised at all if a story broke where they say, Sheldon Adelson has been dead since the early 2000s. Wow. So it's really creepy. Or he looks like one of the aliens in Men in Black, doesn't he? You got those characters who are, like, they have the human costume on. And, but they always seem a little off, and you watch it like, mm, something not right with that guy. That's right, because that person's an alien. Well, Sheldon Adelson could very well be one of those. <laughs> he looks like it. It's sort, sort of creepy. Anyway, I digress. So, Trump got into a fight with Sheldon Adelson. The Hill says the following. President Trump reportedly clashed with GOP megadonor Sheldon Adelson during a phone call last week, according to Politico. The casino magnate contacted the president to discuss coronavirus relief legislation and the economy. 
However, the president directed the conversation to his campaign and asked Adelson why he wasn't doing more to support his reelection. the outlet reported, citing three people with direct knowledge of the call. Adelson and his wife donated $10 million to a super PAC supporting Trump in 2018, and they have each given nearly 600000 during this cycle, the New York Times reported. The Times first reported that Trump's call with... Uh, the Times first reported Trump's call with Adelson. After the altercation or interaction, Republican Party officials sought to contact the megadonor and smooth things over with the 87-year-old businessman, according to Politico. See, you get a real sense of who's actually in charge when you read this story, don't you? You get a real sense who the boss is. The boss is the person with the money. Because ultimately, they decide just how much to help you. They decide just how likely it is that you win election or re-election. So what you have is a bunch of vapid cucks kneeling at the altar of wealth and power. And this is, pure and simple, corruption. You know, in a simpler time, you look at a dynamic like this and you go, okay, hold on. (laughs) The politicians and the, the party establishment, they're begging for forgiveness from the billionaire so that he keeps giving them money? Hmm. I, there's no other word for that. That's corruption. They would like to keep the cycle of corruption going. But in today's day and age, our media is so stupid and our political environment is so toxic that people look at that and they call it a random Tuesday. They look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's, I don't, that's how it works. That's how it works. And, by the way, don't think like the Democrats are any better. They're exactly the same. They just have their own set of billionaires and donors that they listen to. But now it's at the point where it wouldn't even occur to the other political party to attack over this. Because they look at that and they go, that's just how it works. Do you not understand? Like, this is par for the course. This is the game. This is what it is. You ask wealthy people, you ask billionaires, you ask corporations for money, and then you do their bidding. And then if they're not giving you enough, well, you're going to try to do whatever you can to get them to help you out more. By the way, you know, is it possible that as a direct result of Sheldon Adelson's money, that's why you get some of the policies you get from Republicans? Just total fealty to Israel, you know, incredible hawkishness, standoffishness with Iran. Well, yeah, Sheldon Adelson cares deeply about Israel. Sheldon Adelson, this is one of the main reasons he lobbies the U.S. government. He wants certain policy outcomes when it comes to that region of the world. And wow, look at that. Lo and behold, Trump ends up doing everything Sheldon Adelson wants. So now he's mad at him for not giving him more money. This is the guy who ran on Drain the Swamp. And right now, he's bathing in the swamp. He's chugging the swamp water. That's what that is. So I, I said I was going to you know, stand up to the corruption, change the way the game is played. And now I'm in there, and I'm saying, Daddy Sheldon Adelson, please. Please, Daddy, give me more money, yes. Please. So sad. This is the saddest thing I've ever seen. 
this story is just such a stark example of the dynamic. But now imagine this dynamic with various Wall Street assholes. Imagine this dynamic with the military-industrial complex and Raytheon and Boeing and Halliburton, because that's what, that's what goes on in Washington. That's exactly what it is. And so now you don't need to wonder why Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats also agree to gigantic bloated military budgets and then cry that we have no money for health care education for people. Now you know why it's always a bipartisan push for more deregulation. Now you know why. Because these are the bosses. The bosses are the billionaires and the corporations. These are the people who really run the country. So Trump apparently feels... See, now my guess is Sheldon Allison, the reason why he's not giving as much now is because he just thinks it's a lost cause. So he's just like, you know what, I'm going to wait till the next cycle. Um, but, and, and it's also funny how $10 million in 2018, like that doesn't count anymore to Trump. And he's like, no, this for me, this election cycle, you only, you only gave 600000 so far, bro. What the hell? So um, I think he realizes Trump's in trouble. And so he's just being a little more cautious even though 600000 to him is nothing, even though $10 million to him is nothing. He doesn't want to, like, waste the money. And I think Trump kind of deep down knows that, and he's offended by it. And so he's lashing out. How dare you do more corruption with me? I promise I'll do whatever you want. Just give me more money. I need to win. I have to beat Sleepy Joe. That's what's really going on here. And this, remember, Trump actually pretended. Remember when he pretended? I'm self-financing my campaign, self-financing it. I'm not beholden to anybody. Everybody else up here is corrupt. This was back during the Republican debates in 2016. Well, first of all, that was a lie back then. It was a lie. And obviously you can see now it's you know, not even pretending anymore. One of my favorite uh, Trump stories I told on the show, there was a big article, I forget which outlet it was in, But um, when Trump was deciding whether or not to run for president, he met with the number one Republican bundler who really has all the connections and gets all the money from the billionaires and the corporations. He met with him in his office um, at Trump Tower. And this guy, you know, had worked with Mitt Romney, for example, in the previous election. And so that guy took a meeting with Trump. Remember, this is before Trump decided to run. And the guy kind of thought that Trump's a joke. So Trump was asking him, if I ran... If I run, can I count on you? Can I hire you to be my bundler for me to get all the big money? And the guy, you know, according to the story, the guy really thought Trump was a buffoon and he didn't want to have anything to do with him. So uh, what he did is he argued to Trump, yeah, man, I'd love, to, I'd love to help you and work for you and work with you uh, on this and, you know, raise all the money for you and whatnot. But here's the thing, man. It's an interesting and different political era. I think maybe you'd be better off if you argued that you're the outsider who doesn't take any of this big money. Yeah, that's it. If you argue that, then maybe you'll do well, bro. So maybe try that. So this guy's just shooting from the hip. He's just trying to get out of the meeting with Trump. And he's like, yeah, sure, I want to help you, but here's another idea. Try this instead. Just trying to shake him. And Trump's like, that is a wonderful idea. I think I'm going to do exactly that. So Trump was going to run and not even make the, the argument that, you know, 
hey, I'm the outsider, drain the swamp, so on and so forth. The only reason he decided on that strategy was because he was rejected by the top Republican bundler. And so that is arguably one of, the, one of the big reasons as to why he won, too, because he was pretending he's not taking the big money. And, you know, people don't know the ins and outs and the specifics and the details of this stuff. So they hear Trump arguing on stage that he's not taking the big money. He's self-financing. And a lot of people are like, that's what's up. He's not corrupt and the rest of them are corrupt. That could have really helped his election. So Trump kind of stumbled into that correct strategy in 2016. Well, today, you see, once you're president and you're surrounded by all the insiders and the Wall Street people, now, look, he doesn't, even have the, he doesn't even have the political instincts to recognize the obvious, which is, oh, that was like a big part of why I was appealing. And so now he's not even pretending. Now stories like this come out where he feels entitled to the corruption, to the money, <laughs> to taking billionaires' money and then doing their bidding. So I don't understand. I'm the ultimate insider. Why are you not treating me like the ultimate establishment insider that I am? Because he thinks you're going to lose, slapstick. That's why. <laughs> so um, I think this story really says so much. And it's always, isn't it interesting? It's stories like this. Like, this gets no traction. No traction from this story. I've only seen it in one outlet, The Hill. Well, actually, Politico originally reported it to Politico. Maybe credit to Politico. Um, so you would think that, okay, this would go from Politico to The Hill, and then, like, every you know, major outlet would talk about it, CNN, MSNBC would be on the nightly news, you know, in a world that made sense, Fox would be forced to kind of acknowledge it, but no, no, it just, it's dying on the pages of Politico and the Hill, at least as far as the last time I, I looked at this, which was last night, and again, I think that says so much about the way our politics works, but also the way the media works. Because they also just think, like, this is par for the course. Like, of course, you genuflect and blow billionaires, and then they give you money, and you do their bid. That's, that's the way the system works. And that's why Congress always has an approval rating around 22%. And that's why everybody knows we're always voting for the lesser of two evils. And that's why the entire country is falling apart at the seams. That's why in the bailout package for coronavirus, trillions of dollars went to corporations, and the people got crumbs. And now the people can't pay their bills and the corporations are swimming in cash. That's why all that happens. So, you know, maybe if you're in the media, connect the dots for people and explain how the corruption is the root of all evil. Or don't do that and leave it to loudmouth YouTubers, which is kind of pathetic. <laughs> to get anything in the ballpark of truth, you have to go to a loudmouth YouTuber. All right. Let's go to Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson absolutely creamed himself on air over Kanye West's standard, boring, stale conservatism. <laughs> Kanye is like a standard Republican at this point, with, of course, a, you know, a, a heaping dash of insanity. But it's, it's striking a chord with Tucker. Let's see what he had to say. moment, the most compelling voice against abortion and Planned Parenthood is not a Republican. The most widely heard Christian evangelist in America is not ordained. Instead, he is a rapper 
married to a Kardashian, who, by the way, everyone says is crazy. Kanye West is running for president, but that's not really the headline. The headline is that on core conservative issues, not political issues like legislation before the Congress, but on foundational questions about life and children and what happens when you die, no one with a national platform has been more honest or sincere or effective than Kanye West has been, maybe in generations. It's all pretty shocking, really. Talk about an unlikely messenger. But it's real. Check out West's Twitter feed if you haven't seen it. Not everything he says is conservative, far from it. Not everything he says is even intelligible. But when West talks about his faith and about the gift of human life, you start to ask yourself, why aren't there any elected Republicans who sound like that? They say they believe the same things, but if they actually do, why don't they talk like Kanye West does? And the answer, of course, is because they're afraid to. But West is not afraid. He doesn't have to be. He's too famous. He's made too much money. He sold something like 150 million albums over the past 20 years. And really, it's hard to cancel a guy like that. So what does the left do in response to Kanye West? How do you make Kanye West shut up? The short answer is you can't, so you work to discredit him. You go ad hominem. You ignore what he's saying. You attack him as a person. You don't engage with his ideas. You know you would lose if you tried that. So instead, you try to keep people from listening to him. It's an easier job when you're dealing with less famous people. Thanks to our centrally controlled Internet, the left can usually silence dissent in an instant with the press of a button. But with prominent wrong thinkers like Kanye West, censorship requires a finer touch, more artistic flair. Here is someone who should be a Democrat calling out the most absurd lie that party tells. We care about black lives. That's why we want more abortion clinics in black neighborhoods. That's their position. It is insultingly stupid, and anyone who thinks about it knows that. When you love your kids, you want them to grow up and have children of their own. It's the main thing you want. But if your most consistent message to your children was, please end your pregnancy, they might start to wonder how you really felt about them. And Kanye West has started to wonder about that and things like that. Last month on Twitter, West wrote that he had, quote, cried at the thought of aborting my firstborn. I'm concerned for the world that feels you shouldn't cry about this subject. That's for sure. It's obvious. But when Kanye West says it, people might actually listen to him. And that's a massive problem for the left. Here he is last month. somebody famous almost killed their daughter. I, I mean, I, it is incredible to me. It is incredible. What are you doing? So this is how partisan everything is. And Tucker likes to pretend like he's above it. Who, me, bro? No, I'm above it all. I'm like a populist on the right and stuff, okay? But this is how partisan stuff has gotten. Now, as long as somebody says the things 
that you like personally, that are like in line with your politics. You just, it's obvious that they're like a brave, truth-telling genius. Yes, that's what Kanye is. Listen, stop being ridiculous. Just because somebody agrees with you doesn't mean, oh, oh, yes. Oh, the truth teller has arrived. Yes. He's so perfect in every way. Good yes. Why are you pretending like he's some sort of genius? Why are you pretending like he's super brave? We all know that if you had Kanye West with the exact same persona, mannerisms, so on and so forth, and he was saying left-wing things, that Tucker would be attacking him. Now, you'd be correct to point out, well, maybe the left would be praising him in that situation. True. But the point is, stop being blinded by partisanship. Stop pretending like just because somebody agrees with you on stuff means that they're, they have to be brilliant and brave or whatever. K- Kanye West obviously has mental health issues. He's admitted it. You don't think that this is a manifestation of those issues? He literally said, like, he doesn't like how his medicine makes him feel, so he doesn't take it. Well, this is the result of that, Tucker, and you're cheering it on because he happens to mouth some anti-abortion arguments. I really can't believe that last part. When was the last time you heard famous person say that? Never. Dude, he just said he almost killed his daughter, and he's crying on stage. <laughs> this is something that you want to incentivize people to do? That's what you want? That you view this as, like, amazing? Tucker says at one point, why aren't elected Republicans talking like this? Why aren't they? The implication is, like, why aren't they super-duper religious and hardcore believers in their faith? Listen, I would argue that many of them are, many of them are, but why would you even want more people to be like that? I thought, you know, I thought, Mr. Right-Wing Populist, I thought you understood that when the right gets too deep in social issues, they look ridiculous. Kanye West has been out there calling for theocracy since he started his campaign. Tucker, are you now cool with that? Is that part of, you know, him being so brave and, you know, look at him standing up to the left-wing mob by calling for things like theocracy in America. uh, You know, a a right-wing populist would understand that you really don't go near those social issues now. You don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Because that distracts from the economic stuff, which is, is, you know, in the hierarchy is in front of the social stuff. But no. He's, like, he's just making these standard Republican arguments. Why aren't elected Republicans like this? Why don't they cry on stage and talk about how they almost killed their daughter and say we should have theocracy? Why aren't elected Republicans off their meds? Um... I like when Tucker says, the left can't respond to him, talking about Kanye. They'd lose because they can't beat him on the ideas, so they try to smear him. Or they're actually, like, he actually is really not doing well, and that's obvious. And so when we point that out, we're pointing that out for a reason. We're pointing that out because he's not doing well. If Kanye was out there, saying left-wing things, I'd still look at how erratic he is and say, something's off. Something's off. When Kanye was like, before Kanye was political, I've, I've had moments of looking at him like, 
something ain't right, dog. Something's not right. Sorry, but it's true. Something's not right. Um, but it's so funny how this is like they. It's such a lazy. How many times have you heard this? The left can't even respond to him. They can't even respond to him. We can. It's just that it doesn't matter what we say. You'd still reject it and take Kanye's side because you're a partisan hack. <laughs> like again, it just drives me crazy that how how come we, people are denying what is obvious and apparent that he has issues. I don't know why people are denying that. And I'm not saying that as like a character judgment. I'm saying that as like the dude has issues. Like I, I actually feel kind of bad. Let's get him back on the medicine, you know. Um, but Tucker's going to overlook all that and act like he's just an eccentric genius because he's saying things that I happen to agree with. So, you know, there you have it. It re- like, It's never ending, man. It really is never ending. Every time there's like a right-wing celebrity, the right just, oh my God, they go to Bonerville for these people. At John Voigt, you know. But then they turn around and say whenever it's, it's somebody who's on the left, who's a celebrity or famous person, an athlete, you know, Laura Ingram famously said to LeBron, shut up and dribble. Shut up and dribble. So it, they, they flip on that completely. They argue like, hey, th- know your role. This isn't your lane if you're left at all, even, even center left. But the second that somebody mounts some right-wing stuff, not only do they accept it and say, it's cool, welcome to the discourse. This is the stuff they do. Oh, my God! So brave! Why don't other Republicans talk like this? I don't understand. He's such a genius, and we love him. Yes, say more banal, standard right-wing stuff. Yes, Kanye! Anyway, the, the degree to which people pretend in our politics is driving me crazy. Because when you see stuff like this, you get the sense like, oh, okay. So, like, nobody's being honest. Everybody's just doing the whole, like, ha got the other side. <laughs> oh, <laughs> got you. Yes. Relax, bro. Relax. You didn't need to do the segment pretending like Kanye West is some sort of mega genius because he's like, abortion's bad, okay? Oh, my God! He said abortion's bad! I think abortion's bad, too! Oh, yes! Just grow up. Everybody grow up, please. Please. All right, let's do the Joe Biden gaff scandal. I have another Joe Biden gaff scandal for you. Um, Here's what he said a few days ago about the black community, and also, you know, they threw in Trump's response here, too. And by the way, what you all know, but most people don't know, 
Unlike the African-American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community with incredibly different attitudes about different things. You go to Florida, you find a very different attitude about immigration in certain places than you do when you're in Arizona. So it's a very different, a very diverse community. So I just watched the clip, and Joe Biden this morning totally disparaged and insulted the black community. What he said is incredible, and I don't know what's going on with him, but it was a very insulting statement he made. It's so funny when Trump tries to, like, point out when other people say stuff that sounds off, because that's he, every day he's saying something where somebody's offended. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong to be offended by the stuff Trump says, but it's just funny that, like, he, there's no hesitation for him to play the gotcha game, you know? But, like, people are always playing gotcha with him, so you would think he would understand, like, eh, you know, maybe this isn't, this isn't one of those things where I should really lean into it. Like, these kinds of attacks kind of feel hollow in a way. Like, oh, you worded something in a slightly offensive way. How dare you? Like, yeah, that's... You're the king of that. (laughs) You're the Tiger Woods of saying things that people get offended by. So, But anyway, um, I digress from that. Let's talk about the substance of it. So Biden basically said there, like, the black community isn't diverse. The Latino community is diverse. Now... What, in what sense is he using the word diverse? Because that's really what this all hinges on. And based on what he said about, uh, like, the Cuban community in Florida, I think the argument he was trying to make is politically diverse. So, in other words, he's trying to say that, like, you know, and this is true, that over 90% of black folks vote Democratic, whereas the number isn't nearly as high for Latinos, and um, he's saying on, on, a, on a plethora of issues, there's way more disagreement within the Latino community. But of course, this sounds you know, condescending and messed up because he's painting that as if like, well, obviously, that's a good thing in the Latino community, and it's a bad thing that the black community he views as more of a monolith. So I think that I think what he was trying to say was politically, you know, they're more diverse in the Latino community than the African American community. But actually, you know, even that point, I don't really think is true for this reason, because there are obviously massive disagreements within the black community, and there is plenty of diversity of thought in the black community. Now, it is true that there's not as much diversity among who you vote for. Yes, it is true. Over 90% of the black community is voting Democratic. Um, but that does, if you talk to one black voter, hey, why are you voting Democratic? They'll give you one answer. If you talk to another, they'll give you a totally other answer. And there is disagreement. They're not just, you know, down the line, simplistic. It, I mean, especially on, on many social issues. There are many black voters who are pretty conservative on social issues. They'll still vote, vote Democratic, and perhaps the Democrats they're voting for are to the left of them on social issues. But there's plenty of diversity of thought, opinion, belief within the black community, uh, even politically. And Joe Biden's just overlooking that. And this gets to the, to the problem here, which is Joe Biden's real sense of entitlement. Because he said this before. This, goes, this is just like when he said to Charlemagne, you know, 
you ain't black if you're not supporting me, something to that effect. It's like he feels entitled to the black vote. Like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to say anything. Where else are you going to go? There is no diversity of thought. You're a monolith, and I got you. Like, that's what's there. Whereas when he brings up Latinos, he brings up the Cuban community in Florida, and they're historically more right-leaning because they come from, you know, Cuba with Castro. So there's a lot of Cuban-Americans who are Republicans. So he looks at that as like, okay, like a challenge. See, they're more interesting. They, they're diverse in their opinion. They're not a monolith. So that's interesting. So I've got to work for them. And by the way, this is the way they always think, too. In his mind, where there are more right-wingers, work for that, that, like work for that vote, work for their support. It never cuts like, oh, there's people to the left of me. Let me work to try to get their vote. No, that's viewed as like shut up and fall in line. Biden views black folks and the left the same way that like, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I'm all you got. And that's what's insufferable about this is like the sense of entitlement. That comment is dripping with entitlement. Like there's no, unlike the black community, the Latino community is very diverse. There, you know, these people over here, they're monolith. No diversity of thought. They're monolith. I got them. I got them. But, you know, all the Latino community, oh, okay, I, I'm going to work hard for you, especially the right-wing ones like in the Cuban community. So, yeah, classic Joe Biden. Listen, I'm going to say it again. This is the 917th time I've said this. Hide Joe Biden. Hide Joe Biden. There's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. If he hides, he's going to win. You understand? If he hides, he is going to win. I said it. I said it again. I'll keep saying it. Joe Biden hides, he's going to win. The only thing that could happen if he goes out there and gives all these speeches and interviews and whatever, the only thing that could happen is he's going to go down. Because there's always, he's always going to say stuff like this. This is who he is. Now, I will, I, I will also say, though, I don't think this is as impactful as, like, the media is making it out to be. I don't. I don't. I think the bigger issue is that he, when he literally can't talk, <laughs> when his brain is failing him, I think that those are the things that actually would give people pause where they go, whoa, 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 maybe we can't go in this direction. He seems bad. Um, he could do as many, you know, as many insulting, offensive gaffes from now until the election as he wants, but you're never going to outgaff Trump. And Trump's always out there in front of people and making people hate him. <laughs> so I don't think this is as, I don't think this is as politically harmful as many people think, but I would still give the advice to hide. strategy that I think is almost guaranteed to work. So another day, another Biden pathetic thing. And um, let's hope they take my advice even more and just totally hide him. Okay. All right, let me do one more, then we'll take a break. Bernie Sanders proposed a new tax on billionaires' profits during the pandemic. So the propagandists over at Fox Business 
scrambled to defend them. Bernie Sanders going after the wealthy again. He wants to take back the money they made during the pandemic. Lauren, who's he targeting? He's not He's not being subtle. He's calling this legislation the Make Billionaires Pay Act. And it would take billions from the executives of our biggest and most popular companies. Uh, he's imposing a 60% tax on what they gained between March 18th and January 1st of 2021 meaning the wealth that they amassed during the pandemic will face a one-time tax. Proceeds would be used to pay for Americans' health care bills for one year. So for Amazon's Jeff Bezos, that tax would be $42.8 billion. For Tesla's Elon Musk, that tax would be $27.5 billion. And let's take a look at Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, $22.8 billion. And finally, you like Walmart, you go there for good prices. Well, the Walton family, $12.9 billion. So these numbers are outrageous. And what's shocking is um, it just includes their wealth through August 5th. The Sanders plan wants to tax them through the end of the year. If it's a tax on their success, 467 billionaires would be hit by it. You know, Lauren, the bottom line is nobody's going to shed any tears about these guys losing some extra billions, but it doesn't work. Wealth taxes have been tried all over the world. And in the overwhelming cases, the, comp the countries that started wealth taxes withdrew them because people can move capital. People are not these, – these billionaires didn't get rich by being dumb. They're smart. They know how to move their capital out of the country that's overtaxing them, and that's exactly what would happen here. And it makes the assumption that they're not generous enough as it is, that they don't pour their money and their time into their companies and their workers and to charity in general. Well, and, and again, nobody's going to lose any sleep worrying about a billionaire if they have a couple of billion less. But the bottom line is it just doesn't work. It's simple math. That's why countries have gotten rid of it. All right. Lauren, thank you very much. Slob on those billionaire knobs. Keep going. <laughs> oh, this is so sad. How cucked do you have to be to the status quo to make some of these pathetic arguments that they made? I love the argument of, like, pff, pff, wealth taxes don't work because, like, billionaires are going to hide the money, bro. They already tried to hide the money. They already tried to hide the money without the wealth taxes in place. Have you heard of tax havens? You know, they're, when you dodge taxes, it's called tax avoidance, and you go to jail when they do it, it's called using a tax haven. Their money's in the Cayman Islands. So they already try to hide the money. That's just an argument to enforce the rules better. <laughs> do you not understand that? You can't say like, oh, man, if you do wealth taxes, they're going to try to like get around them. Okay, then you better make sure you craft an airtight law with no loopholes and you actually enforce it. I got I. Oh, my God. This is the only issue where we talk about it and just sort of grandfather in the cheating. It's like, well, obviously they're going to try to cheat the law, so why do the law? Or we try to stop the cheating! Get rid of the loopholes! There are ways to do it. It's just you have to have the intent of leaving no loopholes. You know, we could have stopped all these jobs from being outsourced with our obsession with so-called free trade, race to the bottom, you know, 
destroying good-paying American jobs, sending the jobs overseas in freaking sweatshops. Like, we could have stopped that. We just would have had to financially penalize these companies from sending the jobs overseas. So they know it's better for them financially to stay here. So, you know, this is always thought about in, like, in terms of, like, how can we let them get away with the most possible when we talk about billionaires, as opposed to let's tax them a fair amount and make sure that they're disincentivized from using loopholes because we eliminate the loopholes or make it worse for them if they use the loopholes. Anyway, I digress. Um, So there were so many moments there that were just incredible. There's one moment where the host says, these numbers are outrageous. If, If you're saying the numbers are outrageous, then it is also outrageous that they made that amount of money during the pandemic in the first place. You can't say these numbers are outrageous and only mean it in the sense that, wow, it's a really high tax bill. Because if you're saying it's a really high tax bill, you're also saying it's a, a, a large amount of money that they made during the pandemic when everybody else is getting crushed. Guys, I told you the numbers. I'll tell you again. In West Virginia, it's nearly 60% of people that can't pay the rent, 55% in Tennessee. In the entire country, you know, we're looking at like, 32, 33% at the moment. There's not a single state where it's, it's fewer than 20% of people. So, guys, we're talking about an eviction crisis, a foreclosure crisis, a homelessness crisis. This is the worst since the, the Great Depression. And they're rushing to protect the profits of billionaires during the pandemic. By the way, they literally wouldn't even feel it. If you do Bernie's tax here, 60% tax on money made during the pandemic from the billionaires. If you do Bernie's tax, they wouldn't even feel it. And he said, let's take that money and use it to pay Americans healthcare bills during the pandemic. Can you imagine the good that this would do? But then Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos would just like, move elsewhere so they don't have to pay the tax bill. That's what would happen. How about we make it so that in order to get access to U.S. markets, you have to pay those taxes? What are they going to do? They're going to say, fine, I'll tap, out of, <laughs> I'll tap out of, you know, the U.S. market? No, because there's, there's too much opportunity there. Even with paying a high tax bill, it, you're financially incentivized to stay there. So that's not... Like, all the arguments are just propaganda. It's just like, let the billionaires get away with anything and, you know, forget the American people. By the way, this shows you who their audience is, right? Their audience is very wealthy people watching this show. Because, you know, average people are going to watch that, even if they're Republicans. They're going to watch that and be like, you know, I do have a health care bill I can't pay. And that person made how many billions during the pandemic? And if we tax them at 60%, they're not even going to feel it? I don't see a downside. I don't see a downside here. I think this is a a pretty important and obvious thing. So I'm I'm just amazed at how lazy their arguments are and how they're always, like, they can't help themselves. It's always just a rush to defend the status quo. 
But guys, it's not a meritocracy. It's not like the reason why these billionaires are, are making so much money during this pandemic is that they just work that much harder than you. They're just that much better people than you are. That's not true. People are getting destroyed during this pandemic. These are people who've been laid off from jobs. They didn't wake up the next day and become incredibly lazy and say, I'm going to sit on my couch all the time now. No, they were laid off because of the economy, because of the pandemic. So they still want to work. They still are deserving people. And, you know, according to Fox News and Fox Business Network, they look at the state of affairs and they go, no, let the billionaires make so much more money as people in this country can't even pay their rent. Can't pay their rent, can't pay their health care bills, losing their jobs, people who are keeping their jobs, many of them are taking 20%, 30% pay cuts. Look at the carnage in our economy, and you know what? I think it's totally fine. I think it's fine, and I think the billionaire should keep all the wealth, and just wait for it, because there will come a day when Jeff Bezos becomes a trillionaire, a trillionaire. And when that day comes, they'll all be totally fine with it. And they'll argue that it's a good thing. And he just worked that much harder than everybody else. That's why. That's why he's in this position. It's because he works that much harder than you. It's a fair system, and he's worth a, a trillion dollars in net worth, and you're worth 22 grand in net worth. This is the way a lot of these people think. They've really been brainwashed to believe that your market value is the same as your human value. So Jeff Bezos having that much money just means he's that much more productive and that much more intelligent and that much more moral of a person than you are. It's beyond ridiculous. But they, they give away the game here when they attack a, a simple, straightforward, intelligent idea like Bernie's plan. All right, guys, let me take a quick break. When we come back, we got a lot more, including Trump on the campaign trail. Stay right there. We will be right back.
right, I'm back, bitch. Sorry about the long break, but... I jammed some coffee cake down my throat because I was a hungry boy. I was a very, very hungry boy. I was hungry, hungry hippos. Okay, so now that I'm probably covered in crumbs and looking absolutely ridiculous, let's continue I believe the story that we were left on is, um, yeah, Trump appearing tired and beaten down on the campaign trail. So look at, uh, let me set this up for you for YouTube, but you're going to see, <laughs> you're going to see what a guy who's given up looks like. So President Trump appears pretty tired and beaten down on the campaign trail. Um, here's his new incredibly lazy anti-Biden line of argument. He's going to do things that nobody ever would ever think even possible because he's following the radical left agenda. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment, no religion, no anything, hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God, he's against guns, he's against energy, our kind of energy. (laughs) He always makes me laugh, I'll give him that. That's so funny. I love it when he's... When he gives his speeches, there's a lot of the speech that's kind of like this show, in the sense that I'm just riffing. There's no teleprompter. There's no, like I'm just I'm just going. Every now and then, like I'll have some things jotted down, some points that I want to make sure. Okay, I can't forget to make that point because that's really important, and so I'll jot it down. Um, but most of the time, it's you know shooting from the hip, and that's what he does in his speeches. But you know, Trump, he's really vapid, and so there's not that much going on upstairs, and so sometimes. He tries to attack Biden, and he doesn't like he doesn't know where to go with it and what to say. So you heard him there. He says, "You know this guy, this guy Joe, Sleepy Joe. He's gonna do things that nobody thought was possible." <laughs> like, what is that? That's when like you're trying to set up the things that you view as like your punchlines, where you really get them, but you're just kind of filling the room with noise. I'm, I know he's outside, but you're just filling the air with noise around you. Like this guy is really bad. He's a bad guy. He's going to do things that nobody thought was possible. <laughs> like, like what? Okay, well, he lists it. He's going to take away your guns. He's going to take away your guns. By the way, no, no, he's not. No, he's not. You know, is, is Biden in favor of some, you know, mild new gun regulation, regulations? Sure. Is he going to take away your guns, full stop? Of course not. That's a total overstatement. And Trump knows that, that, that Biden's not going to do that. I mean, it's, so, it's all so dishonest. Everything is so dishonest. Like, why can't you just say, okay, Biden is in favor of universal background checks or, or whatever, it, probably banning high-capacity magazines, maybe banning just assault rifles. Um, you could list those things that he's in favor of and then actually disagree with those things 
and say, here's why I think this is wrong. But he doesn't do that. He just, he replaces like the nuanced position of Biden with, he wants to take away your guns. He wants to get rid of your second amendment. He, he, even if he wanted to, he couldn't get rid of the second amendment. He's not going to, what are we going to do? We're going to have a constitutional convention and, and people are going to be, yep, second amendment's got to go. That's not going to happen. Even if there are people on the, uh, some people on the left who want that to happen, that's not going to happen. So what are you saying? He's, he's going to take away your guns. He's going to take away your guns. It's going to be very bad. It's not good. It's certainly not good. Then, of course, my favorite. He says, he's going to take away your guns. It's going to be no more religion, no religion, no anything. <laughs> he said no anything. <laughs> Come on, dude. Come on, bro. It's going to be no anything with Biden. It's going to be no anything. He, he's going he's gonna to hurt the Bible. He's going to hurt God. He's going to hurt God. He's against God. Listen, I don't know. I, I think Biden's probably some sort of Christian. He's certainly not an atheist. But, like, even if he was, the idea isn't, I'm going to hurt God and I am against God. The idea is, like, oh, we just don't, like, we're pretty sure that that just doesn't exist. Like, I'm not, I don't hold a grudge. I'm not like, I'm not like angrily and defiantly, I am against this. No, I'm just like, I don't think that 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 exists. I don't think it's real. But everything is spun for like the dramatic effect and portrayed in the most negative light. And in the case of Trump, when he doesn't know what to say, he just fills it in with vague stuff. No religion, no anything. There's going to be no anything. (laughs) going to hurt the Bible. He's going to hurt God. He's going to hurt God. How do you hurt God? How do you hurt God? Is, uh, you know, is God watching um, Biden stumble and fall all over himself when he talks in his basement? And he's like, oh, this has hurt my feelings and my soul. <laughs> you, can't, you can't hurt God. He's going to hurt God. He's going to hurt the Bible. What's he doing with the Bible? What's he doing? Throwing it, throwing it all over the place? Throwing it across the room? Stabbing it with a pencil? What's he doing? <laughs> He's gonna hurt the Bible. He's gonna hurt it. You can have no religion. You can have no anything. By the way, the idea no religion. So what do you think what do you think Biden's gonna do? First day in office, Biden signing an executive order. And the executive order is I hereby declare religion is banned. <laughs> no religion. <laughs> Listen, this is why um this is one of the reasons why Biden is just so up in the race at the moment is because when you go, go back and look at some of the, you know, rallies, speeches that Trump did against Hillary, agree or disagree with Trump, he's going in talking about she outsourced your jobs, all your jobs are gone because of crooked Hillary. She's so crooked. She's so corrupt. Look at the Clinton Foundation taking money from Saudi Arabia wants to do TPP, did NAFTA, the worst trade deal ever signed, was for the Iraq war, was for all these wars. I'm against these wars. I'm the outsider. I'm going to drain the swamp. Agree or disagree with him, he was hitting her and hitting her and hitting her on real stuff. Today, with Biden, he has no idea what he's doing. He's surrounded himself with nothing but 
standard right-wing goons from Fox News and One America News Network and Wall Street and the military-industrial complex, and they're out there like, you know, I think Biden is Antifa, Marxism. He's pro-riot. That's, he's, he's pro-riot. He's, he's against law and order. He's against law and order. And, and so sometimes what Trump will do, and it's hilarious when he does this, it shows you how in disarray his campaign is. He'll go out there and say, Biden wrote the crime bill, signed the crime bill, and he's also against law and order. So he's too tough on crime, and he's too soft on crime at the same time, according to Donald Trump. That makes no sense, bro! That makes no sense! That makes no sense! By the way, you know what else doesn't make sense? He's going to take away your guns. No, he's not. He's, with Biden, it's going to be no religion. No religion. Losing our religion like that song from probably the 1990s. We're going to lose our religion. That's not good, folks. There's going to be no religion. There's going to be no anything. There's going to be no anything left. You're going to go outside your house. You're going to look around. There's going to be nothing there. There's going to be no anything because Biden is going to make sure there's no anything left, people. You're going to go outside. You're going to look around. There's going to be no more birds. There's going to be no more trees. There's going to, your neighbor's car. Your neighbor's car is not going to be there. Your neighbor's car is not going to be there because there's no anything under Joseph Biden. Joseph R. Biden. I don't know his middle name, but I think it's an R. There's going to be no, he's going to hurt the Bible. He's going to hurt it. He's going to put it in a chokehold. He's going to maybe give it a power bomb or a stone cold stunner. He will hurt the Bible. He'll hurt the Bible. That'll hurt God. He's against God. This was such the perfect graphic here because this, when I watched this clip, this is what I imagined him walking off stage like, 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 uh, here I go again. I got to try to prop myself up and try to make arguments. <laughs> uh, no gods. And he's against God. Guns. He thinks guns are bad. Well done, Don. Well done. Enjoy your continued slipping in the polls. (laughs) All right, next. MSNBC spoke to some 2016 Trump voters in swing states. And um, let's just say that 2020 isn't looking nearly as good for Trump with these swing voters in these swing states as it was last time. They find themselves unsure of where to turn. NBC's Dasha Burns caught up with some moderate Republican voters in Kent County, Michigan, as part of our County to County series. The last time you and I met, Katie, was in March. Right. At that time, you and your husband were both working full-time, your kids were in school. How has your life changed since then? How has my life changed? Well, I mean, we went through, obviously, the kids not going to school, to trying to work from home, to try to educate our children from home as well, and uh, trying to, to balance, you know, the cancellation of, of life, essentially. How has your political life, political landscape changed? I'm I'm turning into more of an angry person than I think I've ever been in my entire life, and that makes me really sad. I'm just on the countdown to November right now and hoping uh, we wake up from this nightmare we're living in. How, when you and I first met, you had a term you used for your political identity. Politically homeless. How have the stakes changed since we first met? 
I, I think we're seeing it on a daily basis, this delegitimizing of, of you know, pillars of our society, of institutions of government, um, everything from um, COVID testing to uh, choices that we've got to make about education for our kids. And this, there's just a, a void of, of leadership at the top. Jerry, I think you are still probably furthest to the right of, of this group. When we first met at the farmer's market, you were echoing a lot of the president's language. You called impeachment a witch hunt. You, what made you go from pretty solidly for Trump to backing away from that and now winding up more on the fence? Some of the his statements, some of the buffoonery uh, at times I saw, some of the shenanigans, uh, his, his actions. Um, and also, you know, when, when he said that, you know, well, we're just going to knock this right down, well, that's not, that ain't going to happen. What do you think you should have done differently? Not had it so blasé, blasé, like, yeah, this, you know, we'll take care of this. The bravado, the bravado would be, a, that, that's kind of irking me right now at this point. And you, you did vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Mm -hmm. You thought he, his business background, he could be a leader that could really bring America forward in, in various ways. How has this crisis made you think differently, not just about the president, but in general about what, what leadership should look like and how important it is? The businessman ideal was what was, I think, the attraction, you know, there. Um, and if I can see that from the leaders of the, the company I work for to, um, you know, all across corporate America, there's no reason the guy in the White House can't do it. The president, both, both candidates are looking at the suburbs. They, they want to win over suburbs like the ones here in Kent County. The president has been campaigning on this law and order message in places like this. Mm -hmm. Is that resonating? I think it's, I think it's going to backfire. I, I think that the type of law and order that he thinks he's promoting is not the type of law and order that resonates with suburban voters. You know, you're right. These aren't, we aren't, you know, suburban moms. We aren't 1950s housewives anymore. We're educated, strong women who are trying to raise families while working full-time out of the home. You know, a lot of us are. And to make us think that we're going to be, you know, this, you know, defund the police thing, and we're going to all of a sudden be overrun in our communities by all these bad people is, is ludicrous. Yeah, that was basically everything I thought it would be. So th these are Republicans, like moderate Republicans who in 2016 voted for Trump. Um, they're in a swing state, and now they just don't feel like they did back then. And if you look, I jotted down their, uh, their list of reasons here because this, these are – this is echoing themes that I've kind of brought up in different contexts over the past couple months on this show. Um, they said, one of them said, I'm angry. I'm angrier than I've ever been. Uh, they said there's this delegitimizing of the government going on that they're uncomfortable with, where it does appear to be like Trump versus some of the agencies. Like, for example, with the CDC – he mandated that the coronavirus information, the data, go to his administration as opposed to right to the CDC. So 
I see no other reason to do that other than to cook the books and change the numbers. This was a big story a few weeks ago. It looks like these little things are adding up for people. One of them cites um, COVID testing. How the, you know, the COVID testing was totally botched. Uh, schools, how there's this push now from Trump and his administration to force people to go back to schools when, you know, I just saw this story last night. There was a school in Georgia that went viral because there were really crowded hallways. This is during a pandemic and very few masks. Well, guess what? Nine people in the school had COVID, and then now they just switched to all online the other day. But, like, like of course that this is what was going to happen. Of course this was going to happen. But Trump and his people are just trying to force everything back to normal. And they, people are watching this like, not my kid, bro. Not my kid. You ain't doing this to my kid. You're not going to do this to us. So it, it's backfiring. Then I think some of the most important ones, um, void of leadership. This gets back to a point that I made that in times where there's acute crises, you want, to, you want somebody who's in charge, who's a steady hand of leadership. Because you just want, I think in most people's minds, in, in times of crisis, they actually do want to feel like there is no politics involved in the decision making. It's just like, almost like when you're a kid, you fall on the playground, you scrape your knee. You want like an adult figure to come over, calm you down, fix the problem, maybe wash the knee off, put a little ointment and a Band-Aid or something, but like calm you down the entire time and just kind of show that leadership. It's a similar thing for an entire country during a time of crisis. You want a steady hand of leadership. You don't want somebody who's a bomb thrower, who's divisive, who's going to pick a side and and add fuel to the fire. You just want somebody to come along who's like, "Um, we're going to take care of this. We're going to take care of this. I got it under control. And we got your back, Americans. We're going to do the right thing. And I, I told you that Trump's persona is populist bomb thrower. And that works when there's not multiple acute crises. But when there are multiple acute crises, people don't want like the loud, swashbuckling, arrogant person. They want the person who's going to step up and be like, listen, everybody, breathe, breathe. We're going to get through this as a country. And we're going to do everything that we have to do. And you can rest assured we're on top of it. And that's just not in Trump's personality. He's not the kind of person who brings people together. He's the kind of person who divides people, takes a side. Um, One of them says, I'm sick of the buffoonery and the the shenanigans. That's another thing. I think that that stuff could be appealing in in a context where, you know, you got all these, like, stuck-up politicians who are just, like, too proper and too professional. Like, the professional stuff gets boring. You want to, like, switch it up a little bit and have somebody who's a little bit of a clown, willing to say whatever, have no filter. But then when you get hit with the crisis, all of a sudden you're like, where are the professionals at? We need professionals. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, one of them mentions that oh, the appeal in 2016 to me was that he was like a businessman. So I think that that, uh, you know, the person saying, like, I think that that would have been good for the country to have like a businessman run the country. This is something you hear a lot. You hear different versions of this argument that like, oh, we need to run this country like a business. But I don't think that was ever really a good idea. Because the whole idea of a business is you want to turn a profit. 
for the country, it's almost like the exact opposite. You're not trying to, you know, personally benefit in any way, shape, or form. What you're trying to do is have a thriving, peaceful, stable, fair society in a way that, again, that's the opposite in many ways of just trying to turn a profit like you would for a business. So I never really agreed with the businessman um, point that people make. Uh, And then the final thing is the law and order thing isn't resonating. It's not resonating. Just like I told you guys, it wasn't going to resonate. Because you can't have a guy who wrote the crime bill. You can't have a guy who's tough on crime his entire political career and then turn around and say, that guy is soft on crime. Because it's just, it's too much of a leap. It's, it's, too, it's too clearly untrue. Like, anybody's going to look at that and say, I don't, that's not, Joe Biden doesn't strike me as somebody who's, like, cheering on looters and rioters. That's not, that's not a thing. You're kind of making that up. And they are. And so it's not resonating. And they said, like, you're treating, one of them said, you're treating us like we're 1950s housewives. We're not that. We're not that. We're like professionals, educated women trying to provide for our families. And it's, and we're struggling because you haven't gotten the virus under control, which means the pandemic is still raging and the economy is still in tatters. So you have to fix the virus and the economy. Like, that's the thing. You could say law and order all you want. Things don't feel very law and order-like when homelessness massively spikes. There are evictions everywhere. Five million people have had COVID. Over 160,000 deaths. You know, 20% real unemployment. Things don't feel very law and ordery. And you could try to scare people about, like, rioters and looters in the streets. But that is not as direct a threat to people and a problem in people's minds as the virus is and the economy is. It's the economy, stupid. It's the healthcare system, stupid. And just remember, about 30 million people have lost their health insurance under Trump's presidency. Good luck. Having that happen under your presidency and then running and getting reelected. As I said a million times, you could run a ham sandwich against Trump at this point, point. the ham sandwich would probably win. Because the ham sandwich... There weren't 30 million people who lost their health insurance under the ham sandwich. That happened under Trump. And steadily rising, by the way, that number is. So, listen, you're not the law and order thing of, like, I will bring back security. People will not feel secure until the virus is gone and the economy is better. And what they're doing is not facilitating that. So, I think that this is a problem for Trump. And this is very indicative of what a lot of people are thinking The race is definitely not over yet. Things can still turn around for Trump. But as of right now, if the election was held today, Biden would win and he would win comfortably. And I think that, I do think that, granted, this is a small sample size. It's anecdotal. It's only three people. But what you're seeing there actually is reflected in the broader polls. So, you know, this is indicative of something. This is indicative of a sea change. Maybe people have different reasons for abandoning Trump, but they're definitely abandoning Trump. And, you know... He can press that panic button now because time's running out, big guy. It really is. All right, I want to go back to 
CNBC now responding to Bernie's plan. Bernie's plan made it everywhere pretty quickly. CNBC was debating Bernie's new proposal to tax billionaires during this pandemic. They're getting phenomenally wealthy, and the American people are just getting crushed. So he wants to tax them and use that money for people's health care. Wonderful idea. Well, um, the host here on CNBC makes a good point about corporate socialism. But the guest, a guy by the name of Kevin O'Leary, who's a venture capitalist and a reality TV star and a right-wing guy, He appears fundamentally incapable of grasping the point about corporate socialism, and his response is really interesting. Let's watch, and then I'll explain why. Do you think that that there should be higher taxes on the wealthy to pay for all of this, to pay for the unemployment insurance of the people who are ultimately actually going to be buying your products or not? There has been a, a remarkable corporate socialism on one end going on, and there's a big push to spend even more money, but nobody's talking about who should pay for it. Yeah, it's, it's, listen, Andrew, you, you, you've stayed on this theme throughout this entire pandemic. Uh, there's always attempts to change capitalism in times of stress. There's always there's a better way to go. There's a different system. That's never been the case in 200 years. Now, if you want to tax the rich into oblivion, that's fine. What will happen is they will go and pursue other opportunities somewhere else. It's a very competitive world out there. So do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you can't raise taxes on the rich because then they're going to take their talents elsewhere. Their talents? What talents? What talents? This is the same thing they said during the subprime mortgage crisis in Great Recession in 2008, 9, 10. They were arguing that, listen, bro, what happened was we bailed out Wall Street, and then these companies turned around and paid bonuses to the same people who crashed the economy. And then when everybody was like, what are you, no, what, you can't let that happen? People were like, listen, bro, we got to pay them bonuses to retain the talent. Retain the talent. They just crashed the world economy and bankrupted their companies. And the taxpayers rushed in and bailed them out. And they got bonuses? What are you, crazy? So he's making a similar argument like, listen, you can't raise taxes on the rich, bro. Because we got we to, gotta, like, they're just going to go elsewhere. The original point was hey, we have this corporate socialism and nobody talks about can we afford it or who will pay for it. So, you know, hey, should we raise taxes and maybe do some socialism for the little people, for the regular people, whether it's unemployment insurance or UBI or whatever it might be, shouldn't we tax the wealthy and redistribute, sort of like FDR did? And and instead of corporate socialism, have a little bit of socialism socialism? And notice the response from Kevin O'Leary. He says, you know, everybody says, oh, better system. Let's try to get a better system. Listen, there's never been a better system than capitalism in 200 years. So the host points out accurately, this is not capitalism. We have a corporate socialist system because we privatize the profits and socialize the losses. When the economy was obliterated as a result of COVID, the government rushed in and said, here's trillions of dollars to the corporations. 
So that is not capitalism. That is corporate socialism, or as we call it, corporatism. And Kevin O'Leary simply, he was fundamentally incapable of understanding the point, and he went right back to, bro, capitalism is great, and it's never been replaced with a better system in 200 years. But this isn't capitalism. In, a, in an actual capitalist system, when COVID hit and the economy tanked, then the government would have been like, there's nothing we could do. We can't bail out the corporations because that's socialism. That's corporate socialism. We're just going to take a hands-off approach. And hey, in a real capitalist system, if you fail, you fail. And all those companies would have failed. That would have been real capitalism. So, but Kevin O'Leary just acts like, and here's the point. In his mind, capitalism equals meritocracy. Capitalism equals meritocracy. So in his mind, the harder you work, the further you go under a capitalist system. And that is the system we have right now. The system we have right now is a meritocracy. And so he thinks that, like, the hierarchy as it exists is the natural hierarchy where the strong, intelligent geniuses who are more moral than everybody else and are better than everybody else the cream has risen to the top. They're at the top. And he just totally disregards or ignores the fact that, again, we just bailed out all the people at the top. We just gave trillions of dollars to them. The Fed was pumping a trillion dollars per day into the stock market during the, the height of this thing. The CARES Act effectively gave $5 trillion to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, and he can give it to whoever, whichever corporations he wants. So it, this really shows you how little they've actually grappled with the current state of affairs. Kevin O'Leary is still acting under the assumption that, like, the wealthy are there because they earned their spot, and it's a meritocracy, and, you know, people got to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and try to aspire to be like these people at the top. But he just totally overlooked the reality of the situation, which is the people at the top are getting bailed out all the time, all the time. Endless Wall Street bailouts going back to the Great Recession. Now it's not just Wall Street, it's, it's corporate bailouts across the board, Boeing, giving them billions of dollars and they turn around and lay people off anyway. And he just ignores that. And so he has no real response to our current system. It seems like he's perfectly comfortable with corporate socialism, but he balks at socialism, socialism, and, I mean, that's the problem. That's the problem, right? If you're going to do bailouts, the bailout should be bottom-up. The bailout should be of the people. The bailout should be of the homeowners. But we always do it the opposite in this country. The government bails out the corporations and the wealthy. And really, the main reason they do that is because those are the people who gave them their campaign contributions. So they're beholden to them because it's a corrupt system. But, again, I'm just floored at how this guy who's a venture capitalist and a reality TV star there's a guy who was on Shark Tank. Um, there's a guy who has defended our extreme levels of income and wealth inequality. He just seems fundamentally incapable of grasping the fact that this isn't even capitalism. This isn't even capitalism. In a capitalist system, you just let it fail. Something, something goes wrong. Now, by the way, that would also, be, just so everybody understands, that would also be a total disaster. To, have, to actually be hardcore anarcho-capitalists when the economy takes a sharp downturn you're going to exacerbate the problem, and it would be chaos, it would be mayhem. It, 
it'd be really bad. The un- like double or triple or quadruple the unemployment rate, okay? Like it would be so bad if we did the pure capitalist approach. But, you know, I also think the corporate socialist approach, the corporatist approach is really bad as well. It, what they should have done is if they were going to bail people out, you should have bailed out from the bottom up. Um, but, again, if you do that, guys like Kevin O'Leary scream, socialism, scary, bad, wrong, Venezuela, Marxism, loud noises and stuff and things. But when you bail out the wealthy and the corporations, what does he say? He says, oh, that's just capitalism. So they try to, <laughs> they try to grandfather in the corporate socialism to capitalism and act like that's par for the course and that's fine. But if you do socialism for the regular people, oh, my God, we can't have that. You see how the game is skewed? They always act like the bailouts of the wealthy and the corporations. Well, we had to do it. We had to do it. We had no choice. See, that's what I would say if I was in charge and I start bailing out the little guy. I, I had to do it. What do you mean? I had to give everybody a $2,000 a month UBI. I had to give everybody Medicare for all. I had to give everybody free education. I had to. I, I had to give everybody a living wage. I had to. I had no choice. What are you going to do? Leave the system the way it was? What a mess it was. Uh, at least the host at CNBC, you know, is, is being pretty fair and upfront about this stuff. But the guests are exactly how I'd expect them to be. All right, next. Ben Shapiro, in this short clip, proves that he knows absolutely nothing about democratic politics, but probably politics in general as well. Watch. ...primarying people, the Justice Democrats primarying people and winning. It's why when President Trump suggested that Joe Biden is going to be a vehicle for the radical left, he's right. I mean, I don't see Biden as, as providing any sort of serious obstacle to the radical left if the radical left really starts to push. You saw this in Nancy Pelosi, too. Last year, there was that bit of a a dust-up between Pelosi and the squad, and that immediately was curtailed, and the squad basically took control of a lot of the agenda items in the Democratic Party. Pelosi's moved radically to the left, even over the course of the last 18 months. Citation needed, squeaky Benjamin. How do you just assert something like that? (laughs) How do you just assert something like that? You know, the squad has taken over the Democratic Party, and, you know, Pelosi's capitulated, and Pelosi has moved far left. I wish. I wish. I mean, the fact of the matter is, and you guys all know this, um, on policy issue after policy issue, Nancy Pelosi has given Trump whatever Trump wants, even more than what he wants. The military budget. The, the final military budgets over the past few years, they all gave more to Trump than what Trump originally asked for. Is that, is that the squad taking over the party? Is that the left taking over the party? Do we already have control? Listen, in the long run, I hope we can get there. And I think it's possible that in the long run we do get there. But right now, do we control the party? When you give... Donald Trump, a gargantuan, bloated, imperialist military budget? I don't think so. How about when Pelosi and the Democrats increased Trump's spying powers? 
Is that standing up to Trump? Is that the left taking over the party? I remember covering the story not too long ago of Democrats and Republicans working together to pass more Wall Street deregulation. Is that the left won and the party's now, you know, Pelosi is now listening to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Again, I wish, I wish that was the case. Now, we're slowly starting to creep and, and take over, but we're still, I mean, are you kidding me? We don't even have a sub-caucus within the Progressive Caucus. We don't even have a Justice Democrats caucus yet. You know, how many people either who are Justice Democrats or, or are endorsed by similar groups are, are there in D.C.? Maybe 12, 15, something like that? Not bad, especially because we started all this just after 2016. But it, Ben Shapiro, I, lo- I wish I lived in the world that Ben Shapiro was making up in his head. I wish I did. Because that would be glorious. Nancy Pelosi, to her core, is a neoliberal corporatist. Listen, our number one issue on the left, and I think this is fair to say, maybe you'd have mild disagreements here and there, but like, it's Medicare for all. It's certainly one of our top three issues, okay? I think it's probably the number one issue. We can't even get a vote in a Democratic House. We can't even get a vote on Medicare for all. We can't even get a vote on Medicare for all. So what happened, Ben? I thought that, you know, squad has taken over and Pelosi's moved far left, bro. It's just not true. It's just not true. Like, for the love of God, it's fine that we have ideological disagreements, but don't botch even the facts. Like, you can't, you can state the facts, and then we can have a disagreement our, on our interpretation of those facts. But he's not, he's just botching the facts. He's just botching the facts. And even at the beginning, he said, well, Trump is right that Biden is a vehicle for the far left. The guy wrote the crime bill. The guy voted for the Iraq war. The guy repeatedly proposed cutting Social Security and Medicare with his Republican colleagues. The guy bragged about reaching across the aisle. His entire career, Joe Biden was basically a moderate Republican. But now, oh no, Trump is right that Biden is a vehicle for the far left. Yeah, that's it. Antifa Joe Biden, Marxist Joe Biden. You nailed it, Ben. They're just, it's all so lazy. Like, these arguments are so lazy. They're not thought through. They're not sophisticated. It's just like path of least resistance, right-wing drivel that you get on, you know, Fox News or, or One America News Network of, you know, hey, we're in a general election now. What should we say? The Democrats are so far left. Forget all the evidence and the data and the facts and the reality. I'm going to say the Democrats are far left. Because I think they're far left. They're not. I wish. I wish. I wish. And by the way, if the people I want to take over did take over, Ben Shapiro and his ilk would be wiped out in various election cycles subsequently. Why do I say that? Because if I was in charge, oh, we would be pushing nonstop for Medicare for all, a living wage free college, ending the wars, universal basic income, 
This is what we'd be pushing for. Now, by the way, in the same clip, Ben Shapiro goes on. You didn't see this part, but he goes on to talk about cancel culture, of course. Because this is, this is what they revert to. What they do is they go to a topic where they know they have an advantage in terms of public perception. So, yes, the, the public is generally, they don't like cancel culture. They don't like, you know, social media mobs being overly woke and trying to censor everybody. Like, that's a pretty common position. But there's a reason why Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, and all these characters, everything goes back to cancel culture. Because what they want to do, what he wants to do, is caricature the left as all overly woke, petty, censorious, authoritarian children. And if he does that, if he successfully caricatures the left like that, well, then he doesn't even really need to provide a counter-argument for, like, left economic issues, because the idea is, well, oh, if you're on the left, that's what it means to be on the left, to be overly woke and censorious and pro-cancel culture. So it's a way to, to, and it's kind of clever, you shift the debate in a stealth way. You shift the debate onto grounds where your position is more popular. Now, here's the problem with what he's doing. In terms of a left-wing policy agenda, if the left takes over, nobody is proposing the I'm pro-cancel culture act of 2020. That's not a thing. Nobody is proposing, I say we repeal the First Amendment that's what I think. I'm anti-free speech. The only person who wants to do that is Trump because he wants to ban flag burning, which is against the First Amendment. But nobody, nobody's going to focus on these issues if the left takes over. If the left takes over, we will be fighting for getting everybody health care in a freaking pandemic. We will be fighting for getting everybody $2,000 a month as universal basic income. We'll be fighting for making sure people could stay in their homes. This is what we'll be fighting for. So... They can caricature the left all they want as, oh, my God, pro-cancel culture, unserious authoritarians. Fine. Caricature them all day long. As long as you guys, the real left, hone in on the most important issues that face everybody, which are economic issues and healthcare issues, then we win. You understand? And also, it behooves you, don't become, a, don't become that caricature of the left. Don't become so overly mired in the culture war that you can't see straight and you no longer even focus on the things that matter to everybody. Okay? So as long as you have a left which is dedicated to improving everybody's life, as long as you have a left that focus like, focuses like a laser on solidarity, on class, on living wages, on universal basic income, on health care, on education, we can't lose on that front. Now, by the way, is this me saying that social issues don't matter? No. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I do think social issues are crucially important. My only point is you don't need to become the stereotype or the caricature that the right has of you, where it's petty authoritarianism and censoriousness um, it's overly woke. You don't need to do that. And insofar as we focus on the stuff where we have the built-in advantage, like every economic issue and healthcare issue, then we're going to win. We're going to win in the long run. But no, unfortunately, Benjamin, um, we ain't there yet. It's not the left party yet. It is still a neoliberal corporate party. 
we still have a situation where it's the Republican Party and the Diet Republican Party in this country. And um, all you have at this moment is to pretend like the Diet Republican Party is like the Marxist Party, which says a hell of a lot about you and nothing about the current state of affairs in this country. All right, I think it's time for us to laugh. What do you think? I think it is time for us to laugh. So a Republican accidentally made an awesome argument for government health care. I love moments like this. There's this new Twitter account that I like, and it's called Accidentally Left Wing. (laughs) Where somebody says something, and they don't understand that they're actually really making a good point for the left. Anyway, so... Um, Lee Fong says, former Senator Phil Graham in a Wall Street Journal column denouncing Biden makes an unintentionally convincing case on health care. So here's what it said in the Wall Street Journal. On health care, Mr. Biden bought Mr. Sanders' Medicare for All scheme. Yeah, I wish. Though on an installment plan, first health care becomes a right where no one pays more than 8.5% of their income. Mr. Biden's planned public option is heavily subsidized with no deductibles and low co-payments. Like current Medicare, this Medicare option would further inflate the cost of private plans by making them pay more to compensate for government's underpayment to hospitals and doctors. The inevitable result would be that the Medicare option would quickly compete private plans out of business. That's amazing. So he's saying, well, listen, if we're going to have competition and we're going to have a government option, obviously the government option is going to win. Obviously, it's going to be lower cost and better quality. Obviously, the private plans are going to go away eventually because they can't compete with the government option. That is the most accidentally left-wing stuff I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Obviously, if you have government health care, it's going to be awesome and it's going to take over. Duh. And by the way, this is just like he's just talking about a public option here. And what he's saying is eventually you'll so thoroughly destroy the private plans that there will only be the public option. And at that point, is it really even a public option? It's just Medicare for all. (laughs) To which I say, rock on, bro. (laughs) Listen, I've never been a fan of Joe Biden's health care plan primarily because it leaves millions of people uninsured. I forget the exact number. I want to say like 7 million. I used to know this number off the top of my head. Somewhere between like 3 and 7 million people are left uninsured by Biden's health care plan. So go, by the way, fact check me on that. I, I forget exactly what the number is. Because he, do, he does the, you know, he says like 90 some odd percent of the country is, is um, covered under my plan. Okay, if it's not 100%, it's a trash plan. But... Republican Senator, former Republican Senator Phil Graham, he really did accidentally make Biden's health care plan look awesome. <laughs> He's saying like, oh, really what this is, is a, is a multi-stepped process to get to Medicare for all. By the way, that's not what it is. This is not what Biden has in mind. Biden is a hardcore opponent of Medicare for all. I wish he was a supporter. He's not. Um, but this is the best argument I've ever heard. Like I, after I read that passage, I walked away going, hmm. Maybe Biden's health care plan isn't as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> Listen, the fact of the matter is this. On the actual merits, there's not a 
single leg to stand on um, for the Republicans in the health care debate. Now, that's not, that's not me saying there are no issues where the right doesn't have a point or some semblance of a point. No, I think there are plenty of areas where there's ambiguity, things are up in the air, there's been decent points made on the right on a variety of different issues, but health care, guys, I'm sorry, it is just not one of them. Their points are absurd. And all I need to make my case is every single empirical study ever done on healthcare systems the world over. Every single one. The Commonwealth Fund studies this all the time, like every few years. Um, they ranked 11 recently, 11 of the most uh, developed countries' healthcare systems. The United States ranked 11th out of 11. And the criteria, you can go and read it if you want, but the criteria is the, the way that you should do such a study, you know, uh, outcomes, cost, everything. Like everything that you think should be the criteria, that is the criteria in the Commonwealth Fund study. And the U.S. ranked 11th out of 11. There's the old World Health Organization study, which had us ranked 37th in the world. Okay, now that one is really old. It's like from the year 2000. So it's, fa it's fair to dismiss that at this point because it's so old that our, and our system has changed so much since then. But still, every time it's studied, every study comes back saying the exact same thing. So what do you have? You have a situation where it's not an open question. It's been proven. The best systems in the world are the universal healthcare systems of other developed countries. France, in some studies, is number one. Okay? The UK, in some studies, is number one. But you're talking about different versions of a single-payer system everywhere you go. Sometimes it's public funding of public institutions. Sometimes it's public funding of private institutions. But the connecting tissue is public funding. Public funding. So what we're talking about here in the U.S. to fix our system is get rid of, your, of the private tax that you have to pay, your premium, your copayment, your deductible, all this money that you give to these private health insurance companies that are for profit. I'm going to eliminate your private tax, and I'm going to raise your public tax, but you're still going to be paying less taxes overall because your public tax increase is going to be less than the elimination of your private tax. You understand? So in other words, under a Medicare for all system, you pay less, you get full coverage, and the health outcomes are better. Everybody's covered. Can you imagine? Look at this deal that you're being offered. And again, all I'm saying is look at the rest of the world. This is how they do it. And they're better than us, according to every study. All we're saying is, hey, I want you to pay less and then get everything covered and have better health outcomes. There's literally no, there's no counterargument to that, which is why... Uh, the University of Massachusetts Amherst did a study, and they found that Medicare for All saves trillions of dollars over a decade. I believe it was $5 trillion over a decade. Trillions. Because when you get rid of the mafia middleman who's price gouging you and robbing you, you tend to save money. You do. So, listen, the answer is Medicare for All. But there is a, a very rigid hierarchy in terms of, you know, what kind of systems are better. At the very bottom is our wild, wild west for-profit health insurance system. It's a mess, okay? One step above that is Obamacare, forcing everybody to buy on the private market. The reason why Obamacare is better than the original system is simply because of the other regulations that are part of it, like the protections for pre-existing conditions, like, you know, the, the rule that 80% of health insurance company money needs to go to actual care, 
Okay, that's a really important rule. Um, like the, you, have to, you can stay on your parents' health insurance until you're 26. That's why Obamacare was a step in the right direction. A step beyond Obamacare would be a public option. And then obviously the holy grail is a Medicare for all system, and you could argue over which version of Medicare for all system is preferable. But um, single payer, okay? But I find it funny when Republicans accidentally prove that the left is right about stuff. <laughs> Because, see, in his mind, he has what we're going to call a status quo bias. That's what it is, a status quo bias. So his argument is like any system that would compete out of existence private plans is a bad system. That's his assumption. That's his starting point. But, you know, he just doesn't realize how absurd that is on its face, that the, the, the current system isn't simply preferable because it's the current system. That's not an argument. It's not an argument that, like, change is by definition bad. No, the details are all that matters. So it's funny to see, and this is the mind of a conservative, right? The mind of a conservative, there are some definitions of conservatism, which basically mean, like, I want things to function roughly as they function now. Like, I don't want too much change. And, but the bias is so strong, he doesn't understand how ridiculous he looks making this point. And I'm extremely here for that. Okay, I'm going to take one more quick break, and then when we come back, i got a bunch of right-wing clowns for you, including Mark Levin. Um, and also, I think I might throw in an Alex Jones clip at the end here. All right, hold on. Wait, Ben Shapiro. I don't know if I have the right... Oh, I didn't get the right thing. All right, no big deal. Anyway, guys, I'll be right back quickly. Um, And then I got an awesome ending to the show for you. Stay right there.
All right, I'm back, bitch. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Mark Levin. I finally found the graphic that I needed. Here we go. Mark Levin went on Fox News, and he showed why he continues to be one of the absolute dumbest right-wing hosts. I understand it's a difficult thing to (laughs) be the dumbest among that bunch, but if he ain't it, he's close. Watch this. because teachers don't want to open the schools because of a pandemic, whereas segregationists didn't want to open the schools because they wanted to make sure we continued segregation. They took a stand to say we must separate white people and black people, so I want to close the school until we can have segregation now and segregation forever. His argument is, well, they both wanted to close schools. So they're, I mean, obviously teachers are like segregationists. Imagine not wanting to die because of COVID-19. And simply because you don't want to die, you're accused of being like a segregationist. I mean, he's just a hyperbolic jackass. That's what he is. He's a hyperbolic jackass. Now, this clip was like four minutes long. You just saw the end of it when he made this brilliant comparison. Um, But he's so ruthlessly partisan, and it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, you seriously, you can't understand why it is that teachers and teachers' unions... Some, some of them want to keep the schools closed. You don't get that? Guys, there, was a, a, there were a couple pictures that went viral from a Georgia school. The hallways were packed. There were very few masks. People were literally shoulder to shoulder in the hallway. So that school opened up. They just had to close it back down. Why? Because nine people had COVID. If you keep it open, everybody's going to have COVID. And then you're going to have an even bigger outbreak because... All those people from the school go home. Whose mom is going to get it? Whose dad is going to get it? Whose grandma is going to get it? When they go to the store to get some food after they had just contracted it from their kid, how many people at the store are going to get it? So on and so forth. But no, it's fake. It's fake. There there was something that popped up where some people were trying to argue like, oh, maybe this doesn't impact kids. Nonsense. There's already been a thousand stories about, you know, daycares where it's been passed throughout the daycare. So it does affect kids. Generally speaking, do kids recover better because they're younger? Yes. Uh, But we still don't know enough, man. 
And, and my default assumption is this virus will act like other viruses in terms of how it's passed from person to person. And the evidence that we have at the moment does suggest that. Um, kids do get affected differently in the sense of, uh, you know, there was like very young kids get the, some inflammatory syndrome, for example. Um, so it has different effects on different people, but it's still really bad. And it's still not just kids who would get it at school. It would be spread well beyond that. You know, but even if it was just kids getting it, it still is not okay. That's not a thing. And it's like, oh, that's just that is happening. What do you mean just that? Who, who, why would we be okay with kids getting COVID? So it's just, we have, like, this country collectively has the IQ of a gnat. I love how we're debating whether or not to open the schools, and then some schools open, immediately spreads COVID, and then they shut them down like, oh, man, can't believe that happened. What do you mean you can't believe it happened? Of course it was going to happen. <laughs> Obviously. So, but it's okay because you are like a segregationist for not wanting to die of COVID. This is from the brilliant Mark Levin. Okay, now, now I'm going to go to the eviction story, which is an absolute... Heartbreaker. I don't know the deal with the copyright on this video, so I'm kind of rolling the dice by even showing it, by even recording it, or reporting it, I should say. Um, but I feel like it's so important that I do want to show you what we have. I do want to show you the video. I feel like the video brings it more to life in terms of humanizes the people involved. So we will... We will show you and just roll the dice and hope that the copyright thing is not an issue. Anyway, Tennessee Holler and uh, a guy by the name of Hunter Dempster um, reported a story that really should be huge news. I mean, in a world that made sense, this would be, you know, primetime story with a breaking news banner on every outlet. Um, but unfortunately, in the world we live in today, this is buried, and it's just drowned out by the political circus that we have. So what you're about to see here is a woman with COVID was evicted in Tennessee. Watch. So I've got a friend who was getting evicted. They are throwing everything on the front street. Bunch of cops and sheriffs here. His kid now that the man, this attorney, Anthony Bradley, said his mother owed medical bills. He went to court while he was in the hospital. I've got COVID, as you know. My heart, 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 my She did need to go to the hospital, that she was in danger, but she can't leave all her 
stuff. Oh, the health department told them and said that they can't do this? Yes, and as they can't tell somebody with COVID it was a health issue, that I am documented and they didn't care. I want you to move, please. I've got to be in the state. Y'all are evicting a woman with fucking COVID. Y'all can say no. All of y'all got a goddamn choice. If there's nothing illegal about being loud, arrest me then. No. No. Jay Callens, this is evil, this is immoral, and it exposes the real purpose of the fucking police department. And she is not alone, y'all. We are about to have a mass eviction. To me, it exposes how broken our system is. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what to do. They broke my father's She doesn't have a place to go. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We got to do better as a society. You know, stand up, fight back. Shit's got to change. That was tough to watch. Every part of the story is crazy. So apparently um, this person's partner's mom had unpaid medical bills. And it looks like that was the excuse that they used on top of um, just saying the house was abandoned because she was in the hospital for COVID. I don't. Was it both of those things? Was it one of those things and not the other? I'm not exactly clear on that. But bottom line is, a person with COVID is being evicted in the middle of a depression. Uh, well, yes, it is a depression. <laughs> she's being evicted in the middle of a depression, but she's also being evicted um, in the middle of her sickness, having COVID. And she also sounds like she has other pre-existing conditions as well along with it. Um, every part of this story is just unbelievable. I mean, think of explaining this to somebody in a different country. Even just the idea that, hey, we might have to kick you out of your home over unpaid medical bills? Like, medical bills aren't a thing in other developed countries. So even that alone is like, what are you talking about? But then when you add in the fact that you're evicting somebody during a pandemic as they have COVID... And she's, like, totally helpless and doesn't know what to do. <sighs> Listen, guys, there are, I believe the number is 12. There are 12 states that have zero protections from evictions, even in the middle of the pandemic right now. I know Tennessee is one of them, and this is from Tennessee. Louisiana is another. Um, some states have – other states have some degree of protections, at least temporarily, from evictions, but – yeah, see, this is what it looks like when you don't have the protections. And as they accurately point out in the video, again, credit to Tennessee, Holler, and Hunter Dempster here, um, it's going to be like this all across the country. Because we've gone over the numbers. I showed you the chart from CNBC. You know, in West Virginia, it's 59% of people couldn't pay their rent. Tennessee, it was 55% of people. Lowest number in the country was Vermont, 22%. So even in, the, even in the place that's doing the best, nearly a quarter of them can't pay their rent. We've never seen a crisis like this in our entire lives. The Great Recession was just the warm-up act. This is way worse than that. 
you know, the economy contracted in a way that's only equal to that of the depression. Drastic action needs to be taken and needs to be taken now. Listen, the answers are relatively simple and straightforward. They really are. I mean, we're going to need to do a new new deal and redistribute the wealth because billionaires are getting phenomenally wealthy as the entire country is getting crushed. We're going to need to do a new new deal and redistribute the wealth. There's no doubt about that. It's our only hope. But beyond that, listen, there's no way around it. We need universal basic income. We need Medicare for all. And we need to bail out the homeowners, bail out the renters, completely freeze evictions across the country indefinitely. If you want to avoid, and the number came out from a study recently, 28 million Americans going homeless, you have to do it. Just to put that in perspective for everybody, we have maybe at most a million homeless people. It's probably more like 600,000 homeless people right now in America. Let's take the high-end number just to be safe. You want that number to go from 1 million to 28 million homeless people? No, that's what I call a failed state. That's what that is. All right, final story of the day time. Final story of the day, bitch. Um, it is Alex Jones. So the surfs tweeted a video earlier today. I, this just made me smile. I don't really know what else to say about it. Um, and I don't know if this is actually happening now. I don't know. This could be any time within the last like three years for all I know. But apparently, Alex Jones, for no apparent reason, has now purchased llamas. Are they llamas? I think they're llamas, but I'm not exactly sure. He's purchased them and brought them in studio. You've seen Alex Jones for years tell you fluoride and tell you about Jeffrey Epstein and tell you about the New World Order and fish infusion and artificial black holes and strangeless and superconducting super colliders and other systems like cyclotrons, but you've ignored that because it's just all background. But now that I have llamas, now that I have the secret weapon, this is amazing. Here you go, my sweetie. Uh, Poco, which, which, which one's the really, Poco's the big one. Poco seems like, we get a close-up of Poco's face for TV viewers. Poco looks like it's kind of in master control over here. Is this just Poco? Poco, how you doing? Come on here, sweetie. Can I give you a cookie? Can I give you a cookie? Oh, come on. You want one of these. There's no fluoride in this. They don't want a brain damage use. The government isn't putting that in there. Come on. You want, want this? You, you, you don't trust to have a Oh, a cookie. Why do you think they're tripling and quadrupling down on hoaxes? What do you think their end game is? Because it's only discrediting them more, but they keep doing it. I mean, let's, I mean if we're going to go full public, full transparency, let's see all of it, because I guarantee you what the Democrats were doing was criminal, impeachable activities routinely. Hey, where do the llamas like to be petted? On the neck. Okay. Oh. 
now. Hey, you give your llamas fluoride? Hell no, we don't give them fluoride. Because, I mean, that's something that really sinks in for people. Sweden undergoing demographic experiment of historical dimensions. This is, uh, did they have psychic powers or something? This is just an amazing moment. You know, I don't mind the llama in the background. I did calm them to see the great master llama engineered the way that you... Do I have even the slightest clue as to why he did this? No. <laughs> Not even a little bit. No idea. None whatsoever. Purchased llamas, brought them in studio, is doing segments with them there. I can't even think of like a theoretical like bullshit reason as to why he would do it. I mean, honestly, his, is his show just like a long troll job? <laughs> Did, was he never serious this entire time? Was the entire Alex Jones show from the beginning like, we're just, I'm just going to troll you, just going to do some sarcastic, I'm, this is just sarcasm, the entire thing, I'm just messing with you. It's like, um, it's, it's almost like, uh, I think it's the Andy Kaufman thing. What's that movie with Jim Carrey? I think it's Andy Kaufman, right? He plays Andy Kaufman. Like, is that what this is? Like, is this just... He's been messing with us all along. Because usually there, there are clips I've seen of Alex Jones where I'm like, oh, no, he looks unhinged, and it's terrifying. And if, and if at some point that dude ends up doing a mass shooting, not a single person would be like, that's wild. Everybody would be like, yeah, kind of saw that one coming. But for some reason, it just, he, doesn't, he doesn't appear angry or deranged there. He's just like, hey, man, got some llamas. <laughs> Messing around with my llamas? Having a good time, bro. Having a good time. I like the beginning. Hold on. I jotted down what he said at the beginning. Um, he starts out with, you know, we've been telling you a long time about the fluoride, Jeffrey Epstein, super collider, cyclotrons. <laughs> what are you saying? What does any of that mean? Uh, if he's been messing around with us all this time, I might have to just hand it to him and be like, you know what, bro? You got us good. Here I was. I've done many segments where I, like, honestly and seriously respond to Alex Jones. Like, listen, bro, here's why that's wrong. Let me break it down for you. But if he's just messing with us the whole time, then I'm the sucker. <laughs> I'm the sucker for trying to respond to him in any serious way. They banned this guy off YouTube. They banned him. Listen, that, I mean, that's, I get it. Hey, man, if you, if you say people are getting direct threats of violence as a result of him, you know, calling Sandy Hook a hoax, and so the family members of the victims are getting harassed and getting direct threats of violence because of Alex Jones. Hey, bro, listen, that's a direct threat of violence. We all agree that's not acceptable. I, I would be fine with taking down those videos specifically. But you're not even going to allow Llama Alex Jones on YouTube? Not even Llama Alex Jones? I mean, this is just... I mean, this is just a work of art. I could watch Llama Alex Jones all day. <laughs> this, just, this just makes me smile. I just enjoy this. I have no idea what's going on in this guy's head, but... It looks like he maybe cut back a little bit on the booze. You know, maybe cut back a little bit on the coke skis. You know what I'm saying? And whatnot. So, you know, 
It is what it is, bro. Or as long as he as long as he keeps the habits under control, then we get llamas, we get feeding them, we get fluoride and Jeffrey Epstein. Everybody's winning as far as I can tell. All right, that was hilarious. All right, guys. I love you, baby. Everybody stay healthy out there. You know I love you. Um, And we will be back soon. I will talk to you soon. I'm out, y'all. Peace.